call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Hey, man. What's going on? Uh, what you doing? I, uh, just got everything set up. Cool. And, uh, just hanging out. I don't know why you don't just keep that set up in Zeke's room all week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, he's he's pretty good with stuff like that. Yeah. Any, well. Anything with knobs and faders and expensive yeah. stuff. He loves expensive stuff. He's the best with that. Well, see, I found the key is at the beginning of the week, all you have to do is say, don't touch this once. <laughs> and that's that's good for the week. Right. Yeah, I'll say, uh, I'll just say, hey, look, I'm only going to tell you this once and I only need to once. Um, all of this stuff's <laughs> off limits. And I get a lot of stuff out of the way once. Like whatever we, whatever food we make for you, that's what you're going to eat. Um, right. I'm going to, you're going to, buckle yourself into your car seat um stuff like that just really chill stuff he's really good about that yeah <laughs> oh man what um so we got anything good on the docket yeah we we do have some interesting stuff i think um at least at least i hope so um before we jump in i do want to ask is there a number that you have of the number of chickens that you took their life this week? Um, is, it, is it less than 100? Oh, yeah, it's about 50. So I, I was talking about how horrifying that was uh, to you on the phone the other day. And uh, I had already told you where I was at. And it was complete. I was completely oblivious to the irony of it until you pointed it out that I was horrified about you, you know, humanely slaughtering chickens, uh, that you raised in your own yard and fed and all of that <laughs> as I was in the Chick-fil-A drive through lane, which I have thought about probably a hundred times since. Yeah. You, that was, you couldn't really have uh, written that any better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But to all our, um, vegan listeners, I, they are, well, no, they wouldn't care if they were happy and healthily raised. They still wouldn't want me to eat them. Yeah. I would, I'd say they're probably still ticked off. Yeah. Um, but less yeah. ticked off than factory farming though. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, there's about 50. Some we do once, depending, um, depending on the year or whatever, we try to do one or two rounds of those so that we have like one a week for our family. Uh, real, real question. There are like egg producing chickens that you have for that purpose and then meat chickens. Is that correct? Or is it all yes. the same? No, they're different okay. breeds. Um, that's really cool though, that you have it all year. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know that I could do it. Have you ever, have you ever read the uh, thing about the chicken that got its head cut off and lived for like a long time afterwards, like not 30 seconds, <laughs> no. like normal, but like, I'll see if I can find the article, but 
No, I have never seen that. Hold on. I actually am going to look it up. I'll edit out the uh, the dead time, but this is on Wikipedia, and I've heard it before, so it feels like it has to be true. Mike the Headless Chicken, born April 20th, which is 420, so it's already off to a bad start in terms of believability. <laughs> uh, through March 17th, 1947, it was a Wyandotte. Is that a kind of chicken? Yep. You is that a term? Yeah. Okay. Was Wyandotte chicken that lived for eighteen months after his head had been cut off? I mean, if it's on Wikipedia, you know it's true. I just I don't understand. How did that? I like, don't, I don't know. Was it surgically removed so that it didn't bleed out? Um. All right. We're gonna we're just gonna read it because why not? On September 10th, 1945, farmer Lloyd Olson from Colorado, he's planning to eat supper with his mother-in-law, was sent out into the yard by his wife to bring back a chicken. Um, this is how I imagine every dinner of yours is, by the way. <laughs> yeah. we, we send out Lloyd. <laughs> Olson, Olson, cho uh, Olson chose a five-and-a-half-month-old Wyandotte chicken named Mike. Uh the axe removed the bulk of the head but missed the jugular vein, leaving one ear and most of the brain stem intact. Due to Olson's failed attempt to behead Mike, the chicken was still able to balance on a perch and walk clumsily. He attempted to preen and peck for food and crow, though with limited success. His crowing <laughs> consisted of gurgling sound made in his throat. When Mike did not die, Olson instead decided to care for the bird. He fed it a mixture of milk and water via an eyedropper and gave it small grains of corn and worms. Um, and then once once his fame had been established, Mike began a career of touring uh, sideshows in the company of such other anomalies as a two-headed baby. So. Oh, yeah, okay. I. Um, yeah, I don't know what to think of that. That sounds more cruel than... Just killing it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. yeah it's, mm. it's not great on uh, no. on second pass. First time I read it, I was pretty, I was pretty amused by it. But I think uh, I think it's probably not great. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a you miss once with the hatchet. Just go ahead and go ahead and go one more try. Yes. Got yeah, it. because. Because he didn't realize that the chicken would live immediately. So there was a long period of time that he expected it to still die, but did not finish the, the deal humanely. You know what I mean? Yeah, not, not ideal. Not ideal at all. Hmm. Um, that is not at all a perfect segue into the text. So what I want to do is I just want to read the Philippians text and uh, – and then just talk briefly after about it. This will be less. It'll be similar to last week's in the sense that we're we're not, you know, directly pulling from the text or trying to like get to the bottom of it or something. It's it's more of kind of a personal reflection on this. So I, I just want to read it and then we'll I'll ask a couple of questions, Steve, because and that'll get us into uh, into the talk. But I'm starting in uh, Philippians four. Four through, uh, four through nine. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's just a, it's really just a single question. Obviously, if you've ever read the Bible, you've heard the whole this whole chunk, this rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say rejoice, um, that whole thing. But this one, this one verse, verse eight, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, pure, and all that. Been thinking about that um, in preparation for this, and the question that I have for you to hopefully launch us into the conversation is: given everything that's going on right now, and you know, all of the. Well, it doesn't. I don't even need to say it. Everyone knows everything that's going on. What does it mean to think about the things that are good and pure and just and true and honorable and whatever? Like, and I don't mean that in some big, broad sense, but like, what does that mean personally for you? I would. I'd like to reflect on that between the two of us because I think it's important, given all that's going on right now to have things that we can, you know, lean into mentally, emotionally, whatever, that do bring us into goodness. But how do you how do you do that? And how do you how do you do that in a way that's not just denying what reality is? Does that make sense? It does. And I guess my quick disclaimer is this is, this is, I'm thinking, this is the first time I'm hearing, not this verse, but this part of the conversation that's going to lead us into this, this week. Uh, we didn't get a chance to, to get together, talk much this week. And so I'm thinking about this out loud. So I'm allowed to say things that I don't think that, I, that I might want to retract later. You sure. Know? Sure. Of course. So, um, but well, first of all, let's say this, you know, there's the obvious there's the obvious angle where – and and this is a, a worthy angle to pursue where it's just simply the the lesson that we give to, let's just say, teenage boys. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the thing – just try to keep your mind on things that are <laughs> right. that are good or whatever. Sure. Um, but, but the bigger picture I think is, is more along the lines of what is – like what's worth doing? Like – I was uh, reading Wendell Berry this week, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but he said something along the lines of, we don't ask ourselves, will it work? We ask ourselves, what's the right thing to do? And yeah. that is what we are obligated to pursue. And so the, it's easy to fall into the trap of, yeah, that would be nice, but the reality of the world is blank. For sure, you know, and so we we and brand fond. anything else as idealism or being naive, right? And 
and so and of course there's a there's an overlap and there's a combination of of the two you're you're very much a realist to some degree but but one with the courage to meditate upon what is actually worth bringing into the world um i know i've said this before but it's just a it's a it's a line that's just very defining to my life right now and it's just simply that i am a future ancestor and yeah. it's a powerful thought to me because when we think back of what has been given to us there has been sacrifice and courage um you know that people have pursued that might not have been worth doing in the moment in a lot of people's minds but pass down a framework out of which we can now expand upon you know and mm -hmm. so like i have been thinking a lot more about or less about immediate return and what it means to embody that list in a way that presents a better framework for future generations to live out of. I mean, to quote Wendell Berry again, that line from his poem, plant sequoias, you know, like mm -hmm. it, you're not going to see an immediate yield on planting a sequoia, but you know, in a couple of hundred years, it's going to be, I don't know, extremely tall. Yeah. And so, and so of course we make decisions that best or that sometimes, you know, that we need to make, in the moment to um to best survive in a sense um but but when we step back and we really begin to spend time on the mountaintop like you know jesus would spend all night in prayer and as as we spend those types of of moments just considering what is good what is pure what is true what is what is honorable yeah. These are the things that should be these are the things that should be defining our actions. Yeah, not not partially true or immediately true, but ultimately true and ultimately pure and good. And it does take perspective to get to those things. I don't know. I was just watching SNL with Chelsea, um, uh, the one from a couple of weeks ago where Chris Rock hosted. And I don't know, it just struck me that you kind of need to watch SNL the week that it's airing because at least it, this present iteration of it, because all of these, all of these jokes are so immediate, you know, it's like in relation to the, the debate that just happened, it's su such like a, and I don't just mean weekend update. I mean like some of just a lot of it is really, really current and not that there's anything wrong with it. I love SNL and always have, but it, there does need to be a kind of zooming out. Um, and I, I don't mean with regard to comedy, but like it just, it reminded me of our need to get out of the immediacy of what's in front of us and to get a kind of bigger perspective, which is what you were talking about with, you know, no, being yeah, a future right. ancestor. You're right. And because, you know, I know that this sounds like a, it sounds like it's being too vague in the way in which you uh, like, and it removes the particulars of, you know, the, the Christian faith, but like, 
if you think about even like what is salvation and what do you believe as someone who is rooted in this faith, and it's ultimately that that the good is what remains, that the good wins, or however you want to 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 phrase that. And it's and it becomes then how will it how will I contribute to that or how will I participate in the the inevitable winning of the good, even though it seems like in the immediate moments it would be much more easier to focus on the despair and focus on the what appears to be the losing of the good. Yeah, how how do you lean into hope, you know, towards something that we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but the thing that Tolkien says, a day when every sad thing becomes untrue. Like that there, there is this hope that pulls us into the future believing that you know good does win out the moral arc of the universe you know is long but it it does bend towards justice like all of these all of these things that we hope and that we cling to it like it is not easy to stay in that frame of mind especially given everything that's going on right now yeah and what's funny though is a lot of people well no some people almost feel as though they would rather win the moment. And what I mean by that is like by simply acknowledging and being the one aware of the despair, they feel like they're the one winning the moment. Does that make sense? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've never felt more pulled towards nihilism, you know, just like it is, it is the cultural language of the day to talk about how bleak things are. Right. And, and so where are the voices that speak to, the possibility of you know of, of resurrection and not even not even just in some you know afterlife form but that that Paul is speaking about people who are currently in human form like focus on these things like be a be a person who be a voice who speaks to the reality of hope and truth and goodness and and honorable things and it's not about being dishonest. It's not it's not denying the reality that's in front of you. It's not about presenting some cheap immediate alternative saying that like, "Oh, actually no, I'm denying this and saying there's this fake reversal of it that is ultimately nothing." It is like it is a long journey that we're on and it doesn't mean that what's in front of us is not real. I mean, Frederick Buechner's got this great uh quote that I love in his, well, it's not even a quote. It's just an idea from his book on preaching. It's called, I can't remember what the title of the book is. It's uh, telling the truth. And then it's like the gospel as a comedy, uh, tragedy, and fairy tale or something like that. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. It's I think fairy tale is wrong. Like but anyway, he in that book, he, he always talks about, uh, or he talks a lot about the gospel being, bad news before it's good news. Like you have to be able to give voice. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast about like not denying the reality that's in front of us. But I do think that a lot of us are comfortable with stopping there because it's the easiest and most obvious thing to be able to do is to just point out what's wrong, point out what's, you know, broken and ugly and needs fixed and all that. Um, but if you if you stop there completely and never give voice to 
what's good and true and pure and beautiful and all of that, you've stopped short of, I don't know, what you're called to or what's ultimately good. Well, you, at that point, cease to tell the truth because there's one, uh, I was reading or listening to this psychologist. I'm on a Carl Jung kick. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, but they were talking about stuff that um, he was saying. And it's like, if you can commit to one thing um, to begin to kind of like, okay, I want to turn my life around, you know, type and get on the right path, then just simply commit to telling the truth. Like that's the first thing because that, that, uh, that acknowledges the reality around you like you were saying, not, and I don't want to repeat everything you just said, but what I mean by you cease to tell the truth at that point, if you stop there is because ultimately we believe then in the other parts of that list, that there is the possibility of, of, of hope being implemented of, you know, of goodness and purity and all of those things. And those are the harder truths to speak into being. Very much so. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right, and it's it's sort of like in, uh, in AA circles or whatever. Like, telling the truth is, and the hard truth of what you've you know what you've been doing, the lies you've been telling, all of that. That is the first step in moving forward is acknowledging that or whatever. But there does have to be an appeal to something that's better and higher and greater. This like, you know, true self. It's not about just naming the false self and saying, oh, well, I did this, 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 and this, and, you know, this is true about me and this, whatever. But there is, there has to be something that pulls you forward into something that's, you know, new and good and generative and all of that. Yeah, because truth gets limited right now to, you know, like the whole idea of like Brueggemann, speaking truth to power. Um and that's a powerful thought, and it it has its time and it has its moment. But I think a lot of times people trick themselves into believing that they are truth tellers by by pointing fingers, you know. But but it begins what you know where hope and where where these things that Paul is talking about is birthed is in you know it's in the individual, and then the individuals become together to to form communities, and it's so it becomes this communal expression of the other side of of truth telling. Like, um, it becomes a communal expression on the other side of truth telling. It's funny to say, but I I think that speaking of even the possibility of beauty or goodness. Um, right now is extremely subversive. Like it, it is such a, it's such a strange time. And for me, so let me, let me read, I want to read the text, at least just that verse again, because, uh, he says, finally, beloved, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's pleasing, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. Like, for me, I've I realized like, and this is such a granular level thing, and I, I do want to take it to this level at least uh, here at the end because 
because ultimately it has to it has to make its way into our lives in like concrete ways or whatever. But the the thing for me that jumps out is that I realized probably four months ago or something, I just followed like a hundred of the most negative uh, Twitter accounts that you can follow. Basically, it was just mm-hmm. like I don't know if you've heard the term doom scrolling have you ever heard of this no it's basically just like you just get on twitter and it's just if there's something going on like you know somewhere's being bombed or if there's a mass shooting or something you just it's just the infinite scroll of new details and new stuff about it that just it's it's a it is an addicting weird thing that we do and i realized that so many of these outlets that I was following, so many of these journalists, whatever, it's not that it's not that anything that they were doing individually was bad, but collectively what I was doing was I was just pissed off all the time. Like I was just either like scared, angry, upset, you know, disturbed. And so I still have a few people that I follow for, you know, so that I know what's going on in the world. I don't read a ton of traditional news. Like I don't obviously don't read a newspaper or anything like that. So I do want to know what's going on in the world, but I just severely, severely reduced the number of, um, I don't know. I just tried to cultivate my social media feeds in a way that, uh, that wasn't the loudest thing. And I, I, I mean, I absolutely felt it and, and have, and have, uh, and have continued to feel, the like the weight of that not being on me anymore. And that's been an important thing. And so um, that's just one small thing. I think it's obviously a much bigger thing and it's a mental practice that has to be cultivated and all of that. But is there anything that you are doing Steve right now or have done to try to like cultivate a more positive or a more kind of productive space mentally? Well, well, the first, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make uh, the point that you just made is not a small one. And it was kind of wh- where I was thinking um, as far as landing is it's just the simple, simple, concrete thing that so many are feeding themselves things that that fuel the fire of fear and anxiety and, and all all the the negativity um and so it is possible though to find the subversive positive voices within every every category it's because there are there are people who who just aren't simply removing themselves out of all that is happening there are good people doing good work within the realities that are happening they're harder to find. And you're absolutely right, though, that those are very subversive voices. And how crazy is it to to think that, you know, to to seek out truth and beauty and honorable things is a subversive act that is hard to find right now. Um, but it's so vital. It's um, it's, and it's it's just so important um, for me personally. I. Um, 
I look for those voices and I try to be very particular in who feeds and cultivates my thoughts on certain things. Um, and, and I, and I have short lists of, of people that I go to depending on whatever, whatever the subject matter is. Um, but then too, uh, I just find that, that outside quiet time is as valuable of a thing as you can implement into your life right now. Um, like if you, I guess I don't share maybe a lot of things like this because I don't, I mean, I don't try to hide my strangeness, you know what I mean? But, but I don't really speak to it maybe in real ways, but, um, prayer and grounding bare skin on the soil and breath work, like deep breathing practices mm-hmm. and meditation and praying in the spirit are probably the things that I value the most right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course that not above family and you know what I'm saying, but of course those, those practices, it just, um, they remind me, I guess. Um, and I haven't thought about it. It's too easy to pretend I've thought about it in this way, but, um, it reminds me of the possibility of the list that Paul gives us amongst other things. Those things wake us up to the, to the real uh, world that we live in and it's not dominated. Like, I don't know. I think there's so many, there's so many things competing to tell us what kind of world we live in. And, and when we get outside and get away from, you know, the noise of everything, we're reminded that this, I don't know, that God is speaking to us, the world is speaking to us, that we um, we don't have to be pulled in every direction by everything. I don't know. I just, I think that that's a, a really important point that you made. Um, things well, as simple as that. Yeah, yeah, and yes, you're right, because we can, we can fall into a very small, mental space that really believes that the entire world is on fire, you know, and, and of course, and again, we say it all the time, it's not denial and we engage in what needs engaged with it. Um, but when you do just simply break free from that and watch squirrels and birds and trees and plants and just, and even just simple encounters with, with strangers that are, you know, positive, like it's the, the whole world is not on fire. There are remnants of truth and goodness and beauty and more than remnants. It's, it's a, it's a much stronger presence than we are led to believe. Yeah. When, when you wake up to it, you see it everywhere. And Mm -hmm. Chelsea and I, one of the things that we've been doing, she made a post about it on social media a couple of days ago. Um, we've got this like blue exercise mat, like a huge, I, I, not huge, but like, it's not a yoga mat. It's like four or five yoga mats put together, but it's, we just drag that out in the front yard and we've got these two big trees in our front yard and we've just been like 
almost every day since the weather started to get cooler. We just lay it out in the front yard and we're either on it or off of it. It doesn't, you know, if it's, if it had just rained, we won't lay in the, in the grass, but we, we just kind of make that our little station. We put Maggie on it. Zeke comes out there. A lot of times we leave our phones, um, in the house and we just look into the, like look up into the trees and into the sky and, you know, watch airplanes go by and watch the birds and, um, that's been probably as important as, you know, spoken prayer for me during the last three months. And I think all of that is included. Like e- even things that are as simple as that are so extremely important to mental health, the way we view the world, the ability to, you know, there has to be some kind of animating force that, you know, gives us the energy to go and do the things that we can to make the world better, to right the wrongs that are obvious and all of that kind of thing. Um, and so that's, that's been a huge thing for me. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I guess the way that I would, you know, kind of end this is, you know, you started out by just simply asking the question, like, what does basically, what does that mean? You know, to, to think of those things. And we spent, um, whatever 30 minutes or so expounding on that in in different ways but then concluding with ultimately realizing that it just simply means that yeah you know just simply cultivate space to think about those things um and it's not a it's not a useless practice no it's vital yeah, I, it's vital. I think anyone who's listening, giving themselves the green light to just, you know, to just enjoy the goodness of life, to pay attention to what's good and true and um, things that uplift, um, I think is really important. And I hope that folks will listen and heed those things. Um, what I want to do to end is I just want to read the passage again in the message, and uh, and then I'll just pray. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you've heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Lord, help us to think about things that are good and true, 
help our minds to be shaped in ways that bring us into places of wholeness, goodness, truth, beauty. We love you and we trust you that you are able to do those things. Even the things that we aren't able to do ourselves, God, you pull us towards all of those things. So we just yield to you. We pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.